Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod, your destination for all the latest goings on with the British royal family. And catching my breath, it has been quite a week. <laughs> Gear Maggie, up, Omen. are you strapped in? Are you ready to go? Oh, we are so ready for this. This is what royal reporters do, right? These are the weeks where it all seems to happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Some some weeks we have definitely struggled for content uh, on the show. Especially the during lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> royal itineraries. But we started this week, in fact, uh, not more than 48 hours after the last episode went out with the incredible news that Harry and Meghan are expecting their second child. We'll have all the details of their announcement later in the show, including uh, their con confirmation via the palace and their own statement that they will not be returning to their royal roles. Of course, when they left almost a year ago, they said that this would be a one-year transition period, uh, that there would be a review at the end of it, and we would see where everyone was feeling at that time. And Harry and Meghan have made their intentions very clear that their new life is exactly where they want to be. And so we'll have all the details from that, including words from the palace. Um, but before I think we get into any of that, uh, there are a few important stories to get through, including Philip, age 99, was taken into hospital, uh, the King Edward VII Hospital in London. This was Tuesday evening. They do say it's not a cause for concern, that his admission was a precautionary measure. It's just on the advice of the royal doctor visiting him after he felt unwell. But uh, we have just passed night number three of his stay at the hospital and he is still remaining there at least uh, for the rest of today. Um, no word from the palace on how he's feeling um, but sources close to the Duke say that he's in good spirits despite everything. Yeah, I think, you know, we all wish there were more updates. I know, you know, at ABC, we follow it really closely. This is a huge news story to have uh, Prince Philip in the hospital, especially at the age of 99, just a few months away from his 100th birthday. And uh, we want information, but, you know, the palace has been very clear. They're not going to be providing unlimited uh, updates. There's no running commentary going on. And so we're kind of just waiting to, to, to hear about how he's doing. And you know, there's been a huge uh, media uh, set up right outside the hospital. And the video has been up all day. People People, you know, again, are, are waiting for these updates. But uh, right now we know that, you know, hopefully things are going OK. And I think at this point, everyone wishes him well. Again, you know, 99 is, is um, well, it's, it's, it's quite a good age, Omid, you know. Um, we should all hope to live such a long and full life. But even still, with a long and full life, you think of the people that, you know, still love them. And I always think of the spouse. And so right now, you know, how is the queen doing? Because, you know, her, her husband of, of decades is in the hospital. And um, to have your life partner like that, you know, potentially not doing well, I just, I can't even imagine. It must be so, so difficult. So, you know, we're all hoping for the best and clearly thinking of his family. Mm, and that family is being kept in the loop, including Harry and Meghan overseas, and of course the Cambridges um, in Norfolk. Uh, now the palace have given some details just to, I guess, put worries to rest. They said that this illness is not COVID-19 related. Um, and they actually traveled to the hospital uh, by himself with a, of course, mm -hmm. with an escort. It wasn't an emergency admission. I think that's important to underline. He actually walked into the hospital unaided, which is always a good sign. Um, I think the royal family like to often put on uh, a brave front. Uh, that sort mm. of uh, stiff upper lip comes into play at times like this. And we've heard that Philip really doesn't want to fuss about this and that he is in good spirits. And 
I think as, as predictable as that line can be from the palace, it's sometimes <laughs> reassuring to hear because I think that if this was a more s severe situation, we'd be hearing mm -hmm. about it. And speaking of COVID, you also made a big point to say that earlier, uh, a few weeks ago, both the Queen and Philip did receive their COVID vaccines and the palace announced that information. And so we at least know he has some protection, um, which is always good to know right now, especially when he's in the hospital. So we'll see what, what happens. But again, I can't believe it's just a few months until his 100th birthday. And so you know, I, I would much rather be planning a big birthday celebration. Yeah, well, we're not we're not far away from it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the palace, when they announced the COVID first round of COVID vaccinations for the Queen and Prince Philip, they always said that they wouldn't go into details of when they're receiving their yeah. second jabs or uh, which of the m many vaccines available that they actually receive. Now, I know a lot of people in their age bracket have now received their second vaccination. So one could expect that both the Queen and Philip have had both of theirs by now, which I'm sure for family members is, again, it's sort of mm -hmm. that sort of extra boost of confidence for um, an elderly family member going into hospital at such a vulnerable time. Now, speaking of those vaccinations, we saw Charles and Camilla out in Birmingham this week for a rare in-person engagement, no Zoom calls in sight, uh, visiting the Queen Elizabeth the Hospital there to thank people that took part in the clinical trials for COVID-19 vaccinations and meet their healthcare staff that are currently receiving their immunizations. You know, we've seen, I think, the Royals really on side by side with those on the front line, making sure that the spotlight is always on the work that they're doing. And I think that for them, it was very important to actually be out there with their masks, of course, um, rather than at home speaking via the computer. You know, this was great, too, because we've really seen all members of the royal family uh, take the time to draw attention to and raise awareness and, and appreciate all the different types of people that are working on the front line of this pandemic. And this was sort of a new one. You know, I hadn't uh, seen many people sort of take the time to acknowledge and so show appreciation for people that are a part of these vaccine studies. And, and so this was it was it was good to see you know, another group of people that are taking a risk and, and trying to protect others. And so it's great to sort of give them some attention as well. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've had a lot of uh, tweets over the past few days asking <laughs> after last week's bumper royal baby episode, uh, where is the name announcement for Princess Eugenie <laughs> and Jack Brooks Banks' That's baby a good point. boy? Uh, we shared the details uh, in the last episode. And of course, since then, the couple have left the Portland hospital and returned to their home. Where I hear from sources, the family is healthy, happy and well. We still haven't received that name. Now, I can't actually get to the bottom of it. I've reached out to Buckingham Palace for comments. It looks like we're going to have to hold tight for a little bit longer. But my suspicions is they might oh. just not want the announcement overshadowed by mm. just how much has gone on this week since, of course, <laughs> they went home. That is true. A lot has happened in the past week. Maybe they just can't decide either. I think naming a child would be incredibly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's also protocol that comes into play. Uh, you have to let the Queen know, of course, mm. of the decision that you've made and, and make sure all the family members know. And, you know, perhaps it's not as easy at the moment with just so much going on. But I think the fact that they're all happy at home, great. I think, look, we can be patient. I, I know we, we, <laughs> we love a baby scoop, but, but it can wait. It'll, it'll spread out the good news for a little longer, right? Exactly. In the meantime, <laughs> we do have celebrations in order for the Sussexes who are yes. announced 
that they're expecting their second child together, Archie will officially become a big brother to baby Sussex, be it a boy or a girl. Uh, the news was shared by the couple spokesperson on Valentine's Day. Uh, they said in a statement, we can confirm that Archie's going to be a big brother. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex are overjoyed to be expecting their second child. And alongside that came a beautiful image. Yeah, Omar, that image was just, I mean, it was so beautiful. Uh, first, uh, the, the, the way they, they're looking at each other in this image, I don't know about you, but it was just one of those shots where you just, it, it screams love, doesn't it? And um, in case you haven't seen it yet, you know, they're in their backyard, their Montecito home, and, and Megan is lying in, in Harry's lap. He's nestling her head, and she's wearing this beautiful, you know, long white maxi dress, and her hand is over her, her, her belly, which at this point clearly shows a baby bump. And it is just such a, a, a beautiful photo. And for me, it also is a very emotional photo. Looking at it, you know, there's there's joy on their faces, clearly so much joy over this child. And especially, you know, with this announcement coming and not that long after her other announcement announcing her, her miscarriage as well. It just, it felt like there was so much weight in this photo. And um, it was really just an incredible way to announce their second child. Yeah, I think knowing uh, after the difficult year that the mm -hmm. couple had last year with the tragic loss of their unborn child in July, Megan, of course, wrote about it in a very moving essay for the New York Times. It's obviously been quite a journey for them. And I think for them to be at a point where they can actually confidently announce this news for the world must mm -hmm. be such an incredible moment for them. And I think that there's a real, as you say, sense of joy that comes from that image and you know I think that this was also a slight step away from what we're used to with royal baby announcements. There was no uh, palace headed statements coming through and of course the portrait that came alongside it was much more laid back of course Harry barefoot in their own home it just I guess ushered in perhaps uh, this sort of a, a look into Harry and Meghan's next chapter. Yeah, the photo was taken by the couple's close friend Misan Harriman who is based over here in London, but thanks to a little tech wizardry, he was <laughs> able to set up um, a sort of remote photo shoot with the couple. He based over here in London, them over there, an iPad doing all the work. Uh, I will remove any judgment I usually have against <laughs> iPad photography because this this really somehow they make out it cool, yeah. <laughs> It really is incredible, though, and I love that they came up with this unique way to take a photo, not only across the pond, but across, you know, the continent as well. Um, and, and I think it shows, for me anyway, their attempt also of trying to sort of keep some of this UK relationship alive. Some of their friends they probably can't see in person because of the pandemic. Uh, they're still finding ways to work together and work with them um, to make this big, important announcement. Yeah, Misan was one of the friends very early on in the loop of Harry and Meghan's relationship. In <laughs> fact, he spent time with Meghan just before her first date with Harry. He revealed to Vogue magazine this week that he actually played a slightly instrumental role in the couple coming together. And he opened up to Robin Roberts on Tuesday about the symbolism behind the pregnancy right. announcement. Well, look, in the in the age of COVID, you know, it's impossible, obviously, for me to be there to shoot it. So <laughs> technology came to rescue and I was able to remotely take over the iPad and, you know, they could hear my voice and we it was conversational. And um, the rest really is history. And you said they didn't even need any direction from you. It was just like, 
friends just conversing. Absolutely. I mean, you can feel you don't even see the image, you feel it. Mm. You know, they are lost in each other and the, the tree in the background and the, you know, just life growing around them. It's, it's incredibly powerful and symbolic. And you mentioned that, the, the tree of life and the garden uh, for fertility. And, and the reason I bring this up, because we are, we're very well uh, aware of what this beautiful couple went through with the pregnancy loss not that long ago. So, Nissan, does that make this picture just even especially poignant? Absolutely. I mean, such unimaginable loss, you know. Uh, I think this picture, from my point of view, represents uh, fortitude, hope, and love. And for mm. particularly the many women that have uh, go through this, um, this should give them strength to know that there is light in, yes. in, in that dark place. So it, it really means a lot. Yeah. Now, of course, we see the bump in the picture, but the Sussexes are not revealing any more information about baby Sussex. But what we do know is that he or she will be eighth in line to the throne. That's, of course, behind Prince Charles, Prince William, Prince George, Charlotte, Louis, Harry, Archie, <laughs> and then the new arrival. That pushes Prince Andrew down one space. But I think when it comes to new, new faces, new blood in the family, I think people are always happy to step aside. Um, he'll be, or she, will be Prince Charles's fifth grandchild and the Queen and Prince Philip's wow. 10th or 11th great-grandchild because it's kind of a race going on here because Zara Tyndall... <laughs> <laughs> may also be giving birth uh, around the same time. So it'll be interesting to see who comes first. Who makes it 10, yeah. <laughs> That's a good kind of race. Um, it's, so, it's so interesting that when you mentioned some of those numbers, I mean, what a... Uh, what a large, powerful family. I mean, that, that's really become the, this huge force in the world. And what's fascinating about the, the next Sussex baby is that he or she will be, more, be born uh, in America. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've already seen people speculating that this child could become the next president. <laughs> yeah, I, weren't there some bets going on? I, you know, I, some of the betting agencies in the UK have just always wild outlandish bets for everything, including the royals. And one, I think, was the odds of whether their baby will become president. You have to wait, what, like 35 years or whatever the limit is at this point for your bet to come true or not. But um, if you want to bet on it, I think you can, Omid. <laughs> well, we're going to ask you guys to wait just a little bit yeah. shorter <laughs> for a second. And we'll be back with you to talk through Harry and Meghan's Final confirmation that they have steps back from their royal roles for good. Welcome back. Well, I think we marked the end of an era this week when Harry and Meghan finally confirmed to the Queen and the Queen confirmed to all of us uh, that they will not be returning as working members of the royal family. Now, the news may sound a little bit of a deja vu moment from last year because, of course, they had already announced their decision to step back. But if you remember, uh, alongside that, that departure was a 12-month review period. And uh, just shy of that, I think about a month early, we finally had confirmation from the couple that their new life that they set up in the US is their new life for good. I mean, this is a historical moment, Maggie, and I think the journey that they have had uh, between last March, March 31st, when they stepped back to today, so much has yeah, changed. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, just so much has changed in the world and in their own lives. And I think what's so interesting about this is it's sort of the announcement that we all saw coming, yet it still felt kind of sudden and shocking today, didn't it? 
Yeah, this has come much earlier than expected. I think we all knew that there'd be a statement around March 31st. But of course, you know, things are a bit different now. You know, the couple have put their Mail on Sunday case behind them. And this has really enabled them to uh, speak a lot more freely. There was a lot of pressure in that case to prove that the couple was somehow invading their own privacy or not even entitled to privacy. And with the judge finally seeing the case for what it was, uh, awarding two victories on their claim for copyright infringement and invasion of privacy, it means that there's no mm. pressure on Meghan to uh, be careful with what she shares with the world. And so the announcement of a major primetime special with Oprah Winfrey airing on March 7th on CBS is really, I think, what spun the institution into a slight frenzy um, because of course we started the week almost moments after the announcement of baby Sussex uh, with Palisades uh, intentionally leaking to the Daily Mail tabloid that Harry and Meghan would be stripped of a number of their royal patronages. Now the problem is that this story inferred that the decision was made because of their um, deal yeah. with Oprah to do this major interview when in fact this is all things that have been discussed for the past few months in fact many of these uh, questions over what patronages and roles they would take forward were actually dealt with last year and so that was why and I'll read this statement now the palace were really uh, quite pointed with some of their words and in sort of making sure that the the accurate version of events was put out there and the statement read that following conversations with the Duke, the Queen has written confirming that in stepping away from the work of the royal family, it is not possible to continue with the responsibilities and duties that come with a life of public service. Now, they go on to say that the honorary military appointments and royal patronages held by the Duke and Duchess will therefore be returned to Her Majesty before being redistributed among working members of the royal family. And I think really that's what the statement's purpose was, was to point out the fact that this has nothing to do with an interview mm. or their choice to do anything else other than the fact that they are no longer working members of the royal family. And of course it points out that they returned these patronages and were not stripped of them, uh, which I think to anyone that has only read online coverage, that might find that the two words sort of go against each other. The statement goes on to say that while we're all saddened by their decision, the Duke and Duchess remain much loved members of the family. And that really closes the door on that. It, it does. I, I feel like that ending line in particular was sort of, um, well, as you say, the, the door has been shut. It's kind of saying this happened and we're just going to say that we love them and they're members of the family still. And it does sort of seem to sort of try to try to button up a lot of the lingering issues and also maybe a lot of the rumors that you know are going to get started. Uh, you know, the Duke and the Duchess of Sussex also were quick to go release their own statement pretty much immediately after the, the, the Queen released hers. And, you know, in it they make the point that they're still going to keep working. They might not have these official royal titles, they might not have their formal royal patronages and uh, the, the military, the honorary military titles, but that doesn't mean they're going to stop working for organizations and causes that are important to them. Um, Statement reads, they say, as evidenced by our work over the past year, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex remain committed to their duty and service to the UK and around the world and have offered their continued support to the organizations they have represented regardless of official role. 
We can all live a life of service. Service is universal. So again, in a way, it sort of um, very much closes the door on that as well, saying we understand our official royal uh, duties and patronages are no longer something that we're a part of, but that we're still going to keep working and still going to keep working on issues that we find important. Exactly. I think uh, that, that that's this couple of sentences at the end. We can all live a life of service. Service is universal. In a way, almost answers to the uh, one of the lines in the palace's statement, which talks about mm. that it's not possible to continue with the responsibilities and duties that come with a life of public service. Um, I think people were very quick to, to to note that. But you know, I think that really, when you read these two statements, it, it spells the situation out for what it was, and and that was as much as Harry and Meghan had hoped to continue their work with as many of these organisations as possible, their new portfolio of independent endeavours, which includes their production deals with Netflix and Spotify, and of course setting up their Archwell Foundation and the non-profit alongside it, they all ended up being deal breakers mm. for the Queen and se senior aides involved in the discussions. In, and again, I don't think this comes as much of a surprise to us. We had so much discussion over a year ago about that half in half out hybrid working model that Harry and Meghan had put forward uh, for their new or what they hoped their new roles within the firm to look like and you know it was made very clear to them by the Queen and those around her that that would be untenable within the institution and I think that Harry and Meghan have obviously very quickly made peace with that they've really spent the past year focusing on uh, building their own empire and I don't think for a second anyone thought that they would be turning back from that yeah. so suddenly or willing to make any adjustments to it because quite frankly it looks like it's going I guess well. this is sort of the, the way we all assumed it, w it was heading and I think it's also important to note that while they're losing you know or have given back many of their uh, formal royal patronages they are they are still uh, remaining with some of the ones that we've kind of come to associate with them I know for Prince Harry in particular he'll still be you know a lar uh, have a large part to do with the Invictus games he's not giving that up so you know just because they have given back uh, some of the things that we know them for like you said, they have tons of new things kind of under this new empire of theirs, and they're going to continue working on um, some issues and, and organizations that have been important to them for years. Exactly. Well, some of those roles that they have had to give up include being, uh, for Harry, president and Meghan, vice president of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. I know yeah. that was one that they were particularly keen to be involved in because, of course, it really focuses on the great work that young people across the Commonwealth are doing. And I think their voices really resonated with those young people. In fact, we saw them working very closely with those Queen's Commonwealth leaders. Um, but I understand that the couple found out around sort of November last year that that role wouldn't be continuing. And I think some eagle-eyed observers online even noticed that the Queen's Commonwealth Trust adjusted some of the language on their website uh, that, to sort of include less about the Sussexes oh, and more about mm. the Queen. Um, so this really shows you how long this has mm -hmm. kind of been going on in the works. I think toughest for Harry was, of course, being at that point of no return when it came to his military honours. Uh, that role as Captain General of the Royal Marines, uh, the patronage role with RAF Honington, Royal Air Forces Honington, I should say, and, um, and the Royal Navy small ships and diving appointment that he has. These are things that I think meant a lot to him. And... This is more than Harry, the senior member of the royal family, sixth in line to the throne. This is Harry who served 
on the front lines. This is Harry that did 10 years in the military. This is Harry that um, fought in Afghanistan on two tours. Um, so I think more than them being honorary appointments, they were mm -hmm. earned appointments. And when he wore that Captain General um, of the Royal Marines uniform, he wore it with pride. And I think, you know, when we saw them at the um, Mountbatten Festival of Music in the Royal Albert Hall last year, which almost was, I think, this week last year, um, we saw how difficult it was for him knowing that he'd probably be wearing that uniform for the very last time. And so any hope that there was for keeping these roles have finally been dashed. Um, but as you say, there's still a number of work that keeps going. The, those I know, give me the positive now. Harry's. After that, I'm kind of, that was so sad. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I mean, it's just, it makes me... He yeah. is still the patron of the Invictus Foundation and also the children's charity Wellchild. And in fact, I spoke with the chief executive, Colin Dyer, there. Um, he put out a statement that saying that we're delighted to have the Duke of Sussex as our patron. He's always been a great supporter of Well Child's work and we look forward to continuing our work with him in the future. Um, we know that he's as passionate as we are, that young people with serious health conditions continue to receive the support they need as we recover, rebuild and work to return to normal life. And Megan's patronage is that she still works with, including the SmartWorks charity, have also put out a statement. They say they're delighted to confirm that she'll remain a patron of SmartWorks. We're thankful for everything she's done in support of our clients and look forward to working together in the future. And I think that ultimately the people who lose out on these, uh, on, on their work, being able to work alongside yeah. the Sussexes are the charities. Uh, for the National Theatre here in the UK, having Megan as a patron was something you know, we know was very important to them. That comes to an end. and. I've had conversations with those working at the Association of Commonwealth Universities who really valued how much Megan brought to her role as patron. Um, in fact, I, one of the conversations I remember having al almost a year ago was how Megan brought more than just sort of arriving to an engagement and the conversation being about what she wore or what she did. It was about, it was about the conversations that she was yeah. having and she knew exactly how to orchestrate those moments. Um, and, and build the profile of an organisation that, that wouldn't necessarily get mainstream press coverage. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see as the royal family redistributes these roles out, uh, what the impact is in the long run. Because of course, I think having a royal patron is a big coup for any charity. Certainly uh, when we look at the domestic violence mm. organisations that work with the Duchess of Cornwall, they've benefited greatly from the exposure that she's given. But at the same time, there are members of the royal family who work hard, such as Princess Anne or Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, of course, is uh, working alongside a number of charities. The press coverage isn't there and certainly that global mm -hmm. press coverage and the support from the fans. You know, we've seen the Sussex squad and how much they even bring to uh, charity fundraisers and supporting these organisations. When you look at the Mayhew, mm -hmm. the animal shelter, and a charity based here in the UK that Megan is still working with as a patron. And much of the money raised for them in the past year has come from donations from Sussex fans. So I think, sadly, those organisations are the ones that are affected mostly by this. Um, and perhaps that gets forgotten in some of the noise. 
uh, that comes alongside these headlines. I guess the, the hope, Omid, if, uh, if you want to have a positive spin on any of this, is that hopefully, you know, these charities are going to have another uh, royal patron that will also bring awareness, and the Sussexes have been a part of it for a while. Uh, and in addition, the Sussexes are going to continue, you know, with all of their great charity work that they've already started to set up in the States. So, you know, you, you, you hope that uh, the good word just continues to build and that ultimately, at the end of this, you know, even more organizations are helped. But again, that's sort of the, the positive spin I'm trying for here, Omid, on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Harry and Meghan, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they, I think they've made it clear to any of the organisations that they work with that they will support as much as they can. Yeah. And, and whilst those relationships may have ended in terms of being patrons, they will always be supporters of those charities because ultimately they are issues and conversations and initiatives that they care deeply about. And I think we'll be hearing a lot more about this from the couple um, because March 7th, <laughs> mark your calendars, guys, is a very big day. Uh, Oprah Winfrey <laughs> has announced that she will be airing a primetime interview with the couple, 90 minutes Oof. long, a no-holds-barred no conversation with Harry and Meghan, uh, discussing everything from their marriage, philanthropic work, to baby Archie, and what their new life in LA is like. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, I think the announcement of this landmark interview it really is the first time that the couple have spoken since their 2017 engagement mm. interview which gosh, oh wow is it really been that long it? It. wow yeah, you know we've had a word yeah, here or yeah, there i think of course we down. had a tiny snapshot when she did that on the ground chat with uh, itv's uh, documentary on their trip to southern africa uh, but that's really it when when it comes to actually hearing the words of Harry and Meghan. And I think that this is gonna be a very exciting moment for them. Um, but at the same time, it has certainly yeah. brought out the fears and paranoia of those uh, in the background uh, who worry about what it is that Harry and Meghan might say. And we've seen that echoed in newspaper headlines across the <laughs> UK for much of this week. 99% uh, of that coming from uh, palace aides and courtiers speaking anonymously. Mm. Uh, from the palace and you know listen I've uh, for me it felt like deja vu because I remember the announcement of Finding Freedom the biography I wrote on the couple and how there was so much hysteria <laughs> mm -hmm. and a frenzy around what could possibly be in the book uh, being claimed by people who had no idea what would be in the book um, that it turned it into something much bigger than it needed to be um, and I think we're seeing the same thing happen again with this Oprah How interview. Interesting. Ultimately, this is a couple that have always said that they will uphold the values of the Queen in no matter what they do in their new chapter. And they also have a charity to talk about. They have the Archwell non-profit to talk about. This is their big moment to share that with the world. So yes, I think we'll hear Meghan talking about some of the difficult experiences from the past year including press harassment and online bullying and maybe even some of the issues she's had with her own father but i think ultimately we'll see all of these tie into themes with the work that they're doing you know we know that they were part of the uh, stop hate for profit movement mm. last year during the resurgence of the black lives matter movement of course that is part of their big push to create this uh, more positive and safer online uh, world for 
for us all to exist in. And so I think this show, this special, will really be a vehicle for promoting the philanthropic endeavours of theirs rather than settling any hmm. schools. Well, that's so interesting, Omar, because I, I, I do agree what you read is mostly, you know, what's going to come out of the interview, and it's so salacious, and you think it's going to be a huge scandal, but I think you give a, a great first-hand experience of what it's like to sort of deal with the speculation versus the reality, uh, you know, when your book came out, and uh, I am curious what's going to be said and how it's going to be portrayed. Um, I am already was already excited to hear from them, just like you said, it's been so long, but I think especially after this week and all of the announcements and everything that's happening, I think, I, I hope they sort of give some insight into how they're doing and, you know, what it's like in their life right now with all of these changes, a new baby, you know, a new country since we last really heard from them. But I, I agree, at the end of the day, it would just be really great if they could also use this time to raise awareness for all of the issues that they have been fighting for and all of the causes that they champion, all the organizations that they're, you know, either launching or or been a part of uh, it would be a really that would be a really great use of those 90 minutes i think what's been really interesting is to see oprah mm. receive yeah. some of the same <laughs> treatment that the sussexes get over here in the british tabloids um perhaps for the first time you know listen to, to me oprah is a, is a, an icon a legend and i've very rarely have seen mainstream press uh, call her tabloid <laughs> television. That shocked or, uh, me. Try and yeah. minimise some of her achievements. But uh, that has been happening throughout the week. And I think there's there's definitely a narrative that's been built here that perhaps she's been someone that has uh, um, been shady in her pursuit of mm. Harry and Meghan, that she sort of exploited that friendship. Um, but I think people forget that actually for Harry and Meghan, it's a coup mm. to be on Oprah's show. You know, when Megan invested in that super latte brand a few months ago, it was the fact that Oprah put it on her Instagram <laughs> stories that had yeah. the whole world talking, not the fact that it was Megan's investment. I think it was that combination of the two together. So you know, I think everyone benefits from a situation like mm -hmm. this, of course, but it's important to note that Oprah has played a much bigger role in Harry and Megan's lives than people think. You know, it was they were Megan was introduced to Oprah by um, an associate of hers, a close friend in LA, um, who introduced Megan to Dorian, I think sometime in early 2017. Of course, at that time, she's dealing with the press. So was Doria, who's based in LA. And Oprah is one of the very few people that she could actually talk openly mm. about these experiences. And for Oprah to understand exactly what it is that she's talking about. And that friendship, of course, built over time. Harry, of course, then got to know her. And we later on heard about the TV project that he's working on with Oprah, the mental health mm -hmm. series for Apple TV Plus that I believe is getting its launch or its debut later this summer. And so this is something that has grown very organically in the background. I think people were quite surprised to see Oprah sitting in the choir at the wedding um, but at that point, uh, a close friendship between Oprah and the Sussexes had already formed, um, but also with Doria as well, who I think was very grateful for the support that Doria offered throughout some of the difficult moments that she faced in LA. I saw one paper this week claim that Meghan had only met Oprah one time before her wedding, um, when in fact, you know, I've confirmed this with a number of sources, they had met several mm. times. And so I think that perhaps there's a push for a slightly different narrative over here. Um, but I think ultimately this is Harry and Meghan wanting to sit down with a close friend of theirs who has 
I guess, proven themselves to be rather trustworthy over the past. In my years. mind, too, and, and now I'm curious. I've never compared this before, but um, you know, I grew up in America, and I mean, it's it's Oprah. Like it is Oprah. One name. That's all you need. Like you said, she's an icon. It, does that resonate in the UK? Do people view her in the same way? It, I, I would say f for most people, everyone okay. understands Oprah's power over here as a media mogul, the empire that mm -hmm. she's created for the charity work that she does. You know, the Oprah Winfrey show was just as watched overseas as it was wow. in the US. Okay. I think everyone can imagine and remember those days growing up, be it the Michael Jackson specials or, you know, she, she was the one that you would go to if you had something to say and she would handle your story with respect and... It's funny to see some of that forgotten mm. in some of the coverage this week. Again, I think that there has perhaps been uh, a slight push to paint Oprah in a different light. And listen, I don't want to be in their shoes because I know I know how much you guys love and, and defend Oprah in the US. Uh, I don't think it's the right <laughs> corner to be picking. <laughs> don't mess with our Oprah, Omid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and going back to... Uh, the comments made about Oprah's appearance at the wedding. You, know, you and I were talking about this earlier, and in fact, a friend of mine also brought this up this week. Uh, I think people forget the significance of the royal wedding, uh, not just for royal fans or for people around the world, but for people of colour around the world. That royal wedding was on the same level as a presidential inauguration. This was Meghan's big entrance into Britain's oldest establishment as a half black woman. And I think to have someone like Oprah there, also one of the most successful and spoken about and revered black women in the world, there witnessing that day would have been very special to Meghan and Doria in that moment. And, you know, I think if this was an inauguration, we wouldn't be questioning Oprah's presence. Of course she should be there. She's royalty herself. But I think for the wedding, people perhaps didn't always understand the context of why it was important that she sat up front. And it's also interesting just when you look at something like a royal wedding and like the royal family, it often is much larger than the event in and of itself. You know, there were lots of people there um, from all over the world for different reasons, representing different things. And that's sort of a historical moment as well. That's something that goes beyond just Harry and Meghan's wedding. It's something that's been done at royal weddings, I mean, throughout history. Uh, and so when you think of it in that context, I think it gives some good historical context to, 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 to royal weddings in general and sort of who makes the invite list. Exactly. And, you know, before, before we close out on that, mm. I think people forget that sitting right next to Oprah was uh, Lady Susan Hussey. That's the Queen's longest serving lady in waiting and a close confidant of the Queen, but not one of Meghan's closest friends. People did not question her presence, but they questioned Oprah's. And I think that you have to understand that a royal wedding is more than just a family get together. This is about who is who in the worlds of the people attending this wedding be it the bride, the groom, or the queen herself. I mean, let's not forget, Rowan Atkinson was a guest at, that's Mr. Bean, for those of you <laughs> I was just remember. about to ask him, okay, now I understand the context. <laughs> was at William and Kate's wedding, mm. sitting pretty close to the front, but is not a close friend of the couple. 
So that is just how royal weddings work. And I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for the interview. And whatever is said or not said during this interview will definitely make news and we'll definitely be talking about it. Yeah, well, I think we need a viewing party, oh, a virtual viewing party. That's f- wait, what, when is, okay, wait, what's the day today and when is this happening? Because we should, oh, we have a little, a few weeks. Okay, so we still have two more, two more podcasts. But um, by then, Omid, we need to come up with a game plan for how we can live tweet with people so that we can all be oh. a part and have a, a, an AirPod viewing party. You'll definitely need the coffee. I yeah, think it's on kind of it is. Over. It's going to mean our, our morning. <laughs> well, I think that just about wraps us up for the week. Um, I think looking at the Royal Diary, there's still a fair bit to go through next week. Uh, I would hope that it will be a little quieter, but you never know. Uh, But before we close out, a curious mention on the Buckingham Palace Twitter page today. Uh, Despite no longer being a working member of the Royal Family, uh, Prince Andrew got a birthday shout out on the Royal Family Twitter account. Well, don't you know? (laughs) Uh, Alongside a picture of his birth certificate, they did not use his title, the Duke of York, uh, but they did. Uh, do a throwback to the day he was born, including a photo of him with the Queen on the balcony of Buckingham Palace it's an as a child. Interesting choice. It's a choice. Yeah, <laughs> definitely made a choice with that decision. <laughs> uh, and we did not have the bells pealing or ringing at Westminster Abbey as we usually do. I'd imagine a lot of that's to do with the pandemic, because this time last year we did for Prince Andrew's birthday, and there was, of course, mm. was uh, much criticism at the time, but. I think it's always interesting to see uh, what is controversial and what isn't in the eyes of uh, the institution. Well, I think we can leave it at that. Yeah, (laughs) that sums up quite a bit right there, Omid. (laughs) Send us your thoughts on everything we've spoken about this week. I'd love to know what you think uh, Harry and Meghan's next chapter will look like. Uh, We've got the Oprah interview and then we sort of sail into... Uh, a new world uh, freedom found I like to call it <laughs> uh, you can find Maggie on Twitter at Maggie Ruley and myself at Scoby. shout out to the ABC audio team in New York for bringing the show together including the wonderful Anthony Alley that's myself signing out take care everyone look after yourselves Maggie always a pleasure Omid love chatting with you bye bye guys